Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is the early afternoon of June 1st, 2022, which means one thing, Brian. The NBA Finals. They're here. One day before the big extravaganza begins, Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, tipping off on Thursday evening. How fun. It's going to be great for all of us basketball aficionados, hoop heads, whatever you want to call basketball fans of the NBA. Finally got here. And it means summer's here. Which, again, I will reiterate, every single podcast means nice weather, golf, water, patio drinks, all of the good stuff. It also means that the NBA draft is nearing. It also means that the NBA offseason is almost here. So we're going to get into all of that, the finals matchup, and more. And hear from Brian about his uh, Danger Zone experience last week, right here on Keep It at 94. Another episode brought to you by the BasketballNews.com Podcast Network. The Danger Zone is a wonderful place to be in. <laughs> Let me tell you. For, for anybody that enjoys the original Top Gun, and I would even dare to say for people that didn't even see it or maybe didn't have... Um, Enjoy it as much as some other people did when you're talking about like nostalgic movies, especially from the 80s. Top Gun Maverick is spectacular. And uh, I think whether you saw the original, whether you enjoyed the original or not, you will have a lot of fun because this is a definition of just a fun popcorn movie. I saw it in a Dolby theater so I could get all, all the sound uh, and try to get my face peeled off. And uh, I'm going to see it again. And it sounds like there's a lot of people that are actually seeing it twice. And I'm urging you, Spencer, to go see it as well. Ah, yeah. You were trying to really goad me into go seeing Tom Cruise and company. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll wait for it when it comes out on the old digital market. No, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there, okay? And I'm doing this for my friend Tom, okay? Tom Cruise, that is. Tom made this movie... Because he wanted you to see it, like, and everybody else to see it on the big screen. He doesn't make movies for you to watch at home except for rewatchable movies after you've seen them on the big screen. In fact, there was a big fight about that because they wanted to put it on a streaming service like six weeks, eight weeks after he came out to the theater. And Tom put his foot down and said, no, 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 this is for the big screen. So you need to go see it on the big screen. If you have any respect for what Tom Cruise. What if my Cruise, home theater defeats the uh, actual movie theater? Hmm? 
What if I have some really solid? How big is your home theater? You know? How how big is your screen at home? Is it as big as a movie theater screen? It's not. No. Okay, that's what I thought. Well, then, on behalf of myself, movie lovers, and Tom Cruise, uh, go to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Will do. We might have ourselves a little bit of blockbuster too coming up here. Maybe. So how, how many rounds of golf did you play this week? All right, so I played last weekend twice. Uh, not so great on Friday. I had a very rough start. Uh, it is a very, very hilly course called, called Boulder Creek in uh, nearby Streetsboro here in Ohio. Uh, didn't go so well on the front. On the back, picked it up, found a little bit of something, but still couldn't shave off those bad strokes. But the next day, uh, traveled about 25 miles south of that, and I had myself an okay outing. And a, uh, even though it wasn't the best back nine, uh, I did finish par par birdie. So we're, we're picking it up. We're doing all right. The average score is, uh, you know, somewhere around 95, 96 at the moment. We're trying to get that down, knock that down to about 90. So we're getting there. Nice. Thank see, you. Yes. You see what happens when you get some repetition and you go out there more often? Ah, I mean, I've been out six times already, and I'm planning on going out again Friday and again Saturday. So nice. I'm telling you, Brian, I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of this as much as I can. Well, you have to now because as much as we will enjoy the NBA Finals, that you know and I know that once the draft and free agency hits, you're going to have to hit the pause button a little bit on the golf. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately. <laughs> but yes. Uh, luckily, the you know the free agent market isn't exactly uh, all that enticing. We're going to be talking more probably about sign and trade possibilities and who wants out, who wants in type of scenarios and i'm sure that we'll get into a few of those you know later on this podcast but you know we were talking about top gun maverick at the beginning of this podcast another blockbuster that's coming up here is these nba finals so first thoughts on uh, boston and golden state being the matchup we kind of touched on it last week because we had a feeling that the celtics were going to take care of business now as we know uh game six did not go as many of people had thought it would but uh the celtics ended up taking care of business on Sunday night in Miami. Give a lot of credit to the Miami Heat for winning that game six on the road in Boston, doing something that I really didn't think they could do. And they they love it when people um, are against them. They love having that chip on their shoulder. They, you know, Jimmy Butler especially, going on the road and uh, extending that series. And then trying to steal that game seven. I, I'll tell you what, man, the, the Celtics tried to give them that game. I mean, they, they, they put it on a platter, and then they said, hey, I know we've been leading this entire game, but if you want it, you can take it. And, uh, I mean, the Celtics were up 13 with about four minutes to go, and uh, we get down to you know the final 30 seconds, and Jimmy Butler's pulling up for three, and if he hits it, the Heat take the lead, and... Um, he just missed it, and the Celtics held on. So, you know, it's the matchup we thought we were going to get. And, you know, the Celtics and the Warriors match up really well. And, in fact, I, I heard this stat somewhere that during the Steve Kerr era, the only team in the NBA that has a winning record against the Warriors are the Celtics. How about it? How about it? I think that I agree with you. The matchups are definitely... Uh, in a good spot. I'm I'm looking at three-point variance. I'm looking at fatigue 
the factor going into this as you know Boston going games you know to game seven and then you had Golden State um you know it took them six but still uh feel like fatigue and three-point variants are going to be very important I think that the turnover proneness of Golden State and same with the Celtics too when they get sped up is going to be a major factor I think we will get a few blowouts in this series I think it'll be a competitive series, but I think we will get a few blowouts just because that's how it goes uh, and has gone in the postseason the last, probably you could say the last month. So I'm not going to like give you the prediction right off the bat here, but uh, I do want to, you know, look at a few different areas that I think, uh, you know, could be, you know, determining factors in who wins. I think it's interesting you brought the the fatigue factor because that's something I thought was going to work against the Celtics against the Heat coming off that series against the Bucks, And I don't really look at fatigue as being something here simply because their star players are young. Um, only Al Horford's the guy that I'd really worry about. And, you know, he's kind of bounced back. He's still hitting shots when he's you know left wide open. And especially on defense, I don't really see fatigue. Plus, you know, even though they got extended to seven games, you know, they've got, you know, the three days off. I mean, they played Sunday. They don't play again until Thursday. And remember, there's only one game in the series where you get one game or one day off. The rest of the games, it's it's two days off in between. And I think that really helps the Celtics through everything they've gone, and it gives them enough recovery time. Yes. No, I would have to agree with that. And that's the good part about the finals. I, I think it's also interesting, though, between these two teams, it might be the largest distance in between two teams in NBA Finals history? Because you have Golden State on one end on the West Coast and you have Boston, obviously, on the East Coast. That's yeah. a long, long trip both ways. And that's probably, you know, why these days in between are going to be so crucial for them. Uh, but, yeah, that that part I completely agree with. What do you think... What's your? Let's ask you this. What's your you know, gut feeling as to how this series starts uh, in in the Bay there on Thursday? I think the, the Warriors will come out strong. I think they will be uh, having a lot of confidence and they'll shoot well on their home floor. Uh, I, I think they'll win game one. Um, game two, I, I'm not exactly sure. See, the, the problem is both of these teams have been prone to letdowns. You know, just when we think, okay, they're going to close the door on something or they come up with a big effort, they don't. But uh, both teams have played well on the road, especially the Celtics. The Celtics have won multiple game, uh, big games on the road. I mean, and uh, it's just kind of this weird thing where you're thinking like, okay, it's just going to be a home court advantage thing. I don't think that's going to be the case, you know, but I look at the Warriors and with that crowd and the way um, – they are capable of shooting. And I, during the postseason, the Warriors have had the number one offense so far. So I, I would look for them to come out strong in game one. Um, to me, like, the biggest things in the series that I look at are turnovers. I think rebounding is going to be especially important. And who's able to consistently hit threes? Yeah, that's obviously going to be the the biggest thing. I. I actually lean the other way. I think the Celtics actually do take game one and, and, and you know, set the tone for the series. I think that Jalen Brown's due for a, a game one. <laughs> like, he has not had 
a solid game one, probably since the first round, even if you consider that, for, that first game and against the Nets uh, a good a good game. I think that, that he's really going to come out and, and take advantage uh, of this moment. I think all the attention is going to be set on, on Jason Tatum, and rightfully so. But the Warriors are going to be programmed to try and take Tatum away. So that's going to give Jalen Brown the floor, right? It's going to give Marcus Smart the opportunity. Al Horford's probably going to have some opportunities. And congratulations to him, by the way, uh, finally you know, reaching the pinnacle here. And then you have you know, the Celtics on defense. They're going to try to do everything to keep it out of Steph Curry's hands, but that opens things up for Klay Thompson. So I think this is a big twos game, if you know what I'm saying. Like The, the number two options, I think this is the way uh, the, the first game's going to go. Just because all, it, if you, you can characterize playoff series, game one is always the feel-out game, right? So what do they do? You take away their strengths and you try to put yourself in a position to you know take advantage of their weaknesses. So I feel like Jalen Brown and Klay Thompson are, are going to have your solid games here out of the gate. And Curry and Tatum are going to be getting all of the attention until these teams figure out how to you know, match up with one another, I think. Well, if that's the case, I mean, we've seen Clay really come around. I mean, that that closeout game that they had in the last round, that looked like old Clay. Oh, it and, did. And we'll see if we get that going forward. So and offensively. I, yeah, offensively. And I've been thinking about this too. Like, which teams are going to look to trap more often when it comes to um the Celtics trapping Steph? and the Warriors trapping Tatum. Like, which team do you think we're, is going to do that more often, especially in game one? Are they going to come out? Are they going to try to trap and take the ball out of those guys' hands? or And who's going to be the first team to do that, and which team is going to do it more often? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Marcus Smart guarding Steph Curry, first of all. Yeah, uh, I, and well, how much so, one-on-one do we get there? Like, Yes. I, I'm looking forward to that matchup, depending, of course, on how healthy Marcus Smart is. We know that he was a crash test dummy, in the last two rounds of the playoffs. Um, but he's fighting through it. Had probably his best offensive game of the series in Game 7 uh, in Miami. So we'll see, you know, where his, you know, physical status is. But um, he's definitely going to be tired out chasing him around all the way around the court, of course. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to that matchup. I'm interested to seeing how Andrew Wiggins takes on the assignment of Jason Tatum after the the job he did on Luka Doncic. I think that that's a really good question. Um, you know, Wiggins obviously took a huge step um, in the last couple of series as well, uh, not only on the defensive end, but, you know, as an offensive player, you know, timely rebounds, uh, big shots down the stretch. Uh, we'll see if that confidence carries over into this series. And then, I mean... You talk about the matchups, period. I mean, Draymond Green and Al Horford, stylistically, you can pretty much say play a very similar game. Well, Horford shoots a lot better, but yeah. But defensively, you know, we're going to see them all very active on that end of the court. And, you know, when it comes to these one-on-one matchups, or who's going to be guarding who, smart against Steph... And Draymond against Tatum are the ones that really stand out. And that's why I'm curious how long they could stick with one-on-one matchups or when when do they double-team, when do they trap, how often do they do it. Um, there, there's a, that little chess game in, inside the game that's going to be going on. And 
you know, game one, a lot of times is going to be a feeling out process, but we'll see how much they each team shows and how much they adjust, even from the first half to the second half, depending on how the game's going. Warriors will get a little boost, too, because Gary Payton II, according to Shams Charani of The Athletic, trending towards a game-time decision in game one. So how much that'd time be, do you think they would play no. him? Uh, I, they'd probably ease him back into it, if yeah. I would if I would guess. It'd probably be like an eight to ten minute stretch. Yeah, that, 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 that would make sense, I think. I mean, just if you can get an energy guy and somebody come in and just play four some Four-minute spot here, four-minute spot there. Boom. Yeah, because you're just asking him to play some defense. Mm-hmm. But he remember, he was an extremely important part of the rotation in that Memphis series. Right. So he very well could find himself the same way. Uh, same way that, you know, Derek White's going to be dependent on, too. Uh, for this Celtics team, the way that he closed the series was tremendous. We, we obviously know the you know first three games that he played in the East Finals were you know not up to par, and then comes out after you know he becomes a father, you know, a la what happened with Fred Van Vliet a few years ago, and ends up playing probably the best basketball of his life uh, in the role that he was asked to play it. So. You, you know, we're going through, you know, name by name. There's a lot of similarities here. Um, I'm intrigued by how often the Celtics play Robert Williams the third because he's been, he's a lob threat, uh, somebody that probably, you know, Kevon Looney's going to have a tough time keeping out of the air and keeping off the glass, even though Looney's been so good as a, a playmaker out of the role. Um, he's been so good on the glass. Robert Williams III athletically is definitely a tougher challenge. Uh, so that's another thing you, you have to, to look at. Does Jordan Poole, you know, revert to what he was doing in the first couple of rounds? Because he's going to be probably alone if they do trap Curry or they do double on Clay or whoever has the ball in their hands that, you know, the Celtics deem a threat. Poole's going to be able to put the ball on the floor and playmake and facilitate and pull up. You know, that's going to be stuff that, you know, he could take advantage of uh, if he plays the way he did uh, earlier in the postseason. So well, that's, that's another be a big, one. That's a big question, though, because when it comes to Robert Williams, how healthy is he? Because, I mean, we've, we've seen this where he's going up and down. He's had big games. There's been games where... You know, game six, he went to the locker room and he wasn't overly effective really in game seven. So it's like, are we going to continue to get that to where maybe game one could be as healthiest that he's going to be? And then outside of that, uh, how is it going to be going forward? Is it going to be like, you know, game time decisions half the time? Or, you know, even if he can't play in these games, how effective can he be? Well, it also helps, you know, these rest days in between. Yeah, like exactly. You were, like you mentioned, like those those are going to be big time. Um, you know, I, I think you're probably going to see quite a bit of Grant Williams if Robert Williams isn't at his you know healthiest. And I don't think the Celtics are against that necessarily because when we sit here and we look at these matchups and we go, okay, well, you know, Golden State's going to want to play small, and I'm I'm going. Well, I think Boston would love to play small mm-hmm. because then they can get Grant. And they can do some other things, you know, and Looney has been so effective for the Warriors. And that goes back to my whole point about the rebounding, because the Warriors are a really good rebounding team. And if they start getting second chance shots, you know, that you're in dangerous territory there, you know. So, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, so I, that's why I think the glass, especially when you look at second chance points, you know, are going to be so important in the series. 
Steve Kerr's also got some decisions to make too because apparently Andre Guadala is is tabbed to come back for this series as well. He hasn't played pretty much the entire playoffs, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, he has. I mean, that's a trust factor because you're you sitting know. there going, do I want to bring the old guard back out here for a few minutes? And I, I guess it would just probably be a situational thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't think you would really play him. But sure. I mean, because he hasn't played in so long, but there is a trust thing. And yeah. you sit there and go, it's Iguodala, you know, and we've done this before with him, and he's hit these big shots or he's had these big moments. I also have to look at, you know, the health of Otto Porter Jr. and see, you know, that's probably why Iguodala could get some of the, the call because, you know, Porter's been dealing with that foot injury uh, here for a little bit too. So it looks like he is going to I wonder play. how deep these rotations are going to go. Yeah. I mean, it, right now it's looking like Porter is going to play in game one. Um, it's positive signs for him. But that that is a big part of the Warriors too if they do not have him available. Um, and he's not at full strength because he has played so well, you know, and, and a guy that's a bigger guy that can stretch the floor, obviously. And, you know, he's running out of the breaks and everything. So, you know, if they don't have him, I mean, that's, you know, Wiggins is Wiggins has helped make up for a lot of things, though. I mean, the way that he has played, especially in this last round. And, you know, they the Warriors need that X factor of Wiggins to keep playing the way he has. Sure. Do you have anybody in mind? Okay, this isn't. Let's not pick an X factor. Do you have yeah. anybody in mind that we're not thinking of on either team or on both teams that you think is going to play a pivotal role in this series? I don't know if it would be pivotal necessarily, but somebody that I think could get some time, it'd be interesting to see how it gets used, is Bielitsa. Hmm. I okay. do wonder if the Warriors would go a little bit smaller and a guy that could run the four a little bit better. Um, and they could keep out there to bang and everything and play 10 or 15 minutes and how effective he could be just kind of as a help with a change of pace, I guess. Okay. I was thinking Peyton Pritchard just offensively. They're going to need to keep up with golden state. If they're having an off night, uh, it can get away quickly. Pritchard's proven that he can shoot the damn ball. (laughs) So. Uh, and, and he can shoot it, honestly, from the parking lot for all he cares. Um, and, and he's, you know, had his ups and downs in the playoffs, but he had a couple of really big games. So I think that's a, a player to keep an eye on as well for this series. Well, I think the Warriors have more options with how deep they want to go on their bench. I think for the Celtics, they basically know what their rotation is. Sure. You know, Pritchard, there was times in the last series where he didn't play um, for a game or two, and then he did play like in the closeout game, so I'd expect him to get more time. Tice is somebody I they could play him, they could not play him, but outside of that, I mean, we basically know who they are going to play for the Warriors. Okay, uh, does Bielitsa get some time? Like I'm thinking, um, you know, do they play Kaminga or Moody? You know, because two rounds ago it was Kaminga, last round it was Moody. How much time do they get? You know, Iguodala, does he get time? How much time do they want to play Gary Payton? Um, so, you know, even when it comes to Damian Lee, like how much time is he going to get? So there's, there's a lot of different options. I think, you know, when it comes to the depth of the Warriors, where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you roll about, you know, nine deep max, uh, with Boston. So I, I, I get it there. And, and Hey, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Udoka sprinkles in Aaron Neesmith. We saw the defensive impact he had, um, in a few games, uh, just, with very little playing time, but in spurts, uh, the defense that he played 
uh, was you know very very loud. So I wonder maybe maybe they use him in, in some pockets here or there. Yeah, like the same way maybe I I think what I expect the Warriors right now to play you know Gary Payton. Maybe maybe that's a case where if the Warriors say hey we're going to give guys a, a break here for a few minutes we're going to bring in Payton. Maybe the Celtics counter and say we'll do the same thing and we'll bring in Neesmith. Mm-hmm. And you know to that point too, uh, who knows if Moses Moody stays in the Warriors rotation? But he definitely earned. Um, a lot of that team's respect uh, during that Western Conference Finals as well. So I, I you, think, you, you said you said yeah. it best, though, man. I mean, the Warriors are deep. Um, we pretty much know what Boston's rotation is, and you know, other than throwing in a couple of you know looks that Golden State might not know from the last time they met him. Uh, there's you know just definitely uh, some wrinkles they can throw in. How physical do you think Boston wants to make this series? Because you look at the way the conferences have played. The Warriors have an easier time in the West, and it's a different style of ball because, like, the Celtics, it's been a grind, and we've talked about this too, a physical series with the Bucks, physical series with the Heat. So I think naturally you'd think, okay, well, they want to rough it up a little bit and maybe slow it down. I I think Boston still wants to run. I just think they want to be – they want to pick and choose the times to run. They, you know, they, they don't want to make this a track meet, obviously, but you know, there, there's times they definitely do want to, you know, pick up the pace and move it around. I think the Warriors are going to want to play upbeat because the Celtics have figured out every half court offense so far. They figured out the Nets, they figured out the, the Milwaukee Bucks, and then they figured out the heat and, you know, really, really not only just physical ways, but technicalities and and switching and just knowing how to stop whatever they're trying to generate off of pick and rolls or off of, you know, certain actions. The Celtics have been the best defense in the NBA since the turn of the new year. And how well they close out on shooters. You know, Mm -hmm. we've seen that, you know, in this playoffs. I mean, the game within the game is going to be, okay, Steph Curry's going to be running off all these screens and he's the energizer bunny. You know, so whoever's guarding him, especially it's smart, like how much does that take away from that person? You know, the, you know, sap away some energy. But how much do the Celtics try to like chip and throw a little hip and throw a little elbow and get a little bit more physical and see what they can get away with when it comes to stuff as he's, you know, to try to slow him down or just bang him up just a little bit. So maybe he's just a quarter step slower than normal. Yeah, I mean, that's really your your only hope as far as, you know, making sure the the Warriors offense doesn't put up 130 on you every night. It's like I would consider it a win for Boston to, you know, to like win these games uh in you know mid 100s. Uh yeah. I think you know the free throw line's also going to be crucial I think if this is as physical as we think it's going to be. The free throw percentages are going to have to really come through and and you have to take advantage of the line. They don't uh, want Jalen Brown shooting free throws in the fourth quarter. Oof. I really do think he I'm sorry, that was cold, man. I mean, I I feel for him because he's he, he it's not just the one game, you know, it's not just it, he's he's had some struggles, you know, late yeah. in games. No, he has. I mean, and he had a really good fourth quarter. I think it was in game 6 or game 3. Might have been game four. 
But anyways. One it, of the games. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, he had a really rough start through three quarters, and then he ended up pouring in a bunch of points. Miami ended up getting the win, but, you know, that's how they he found some rhythm. But I think it's got to be a huge series for him. Like I said, I think Tatum's going to get all the attention. And Jalen Brown and Al Horford are going to be the ones that are the biggest offensive contributors in the points column. Right. Let me I make mean, that do, clear. Because Jason Tatum's yeah. been an amazing playmaker throughout the entire postseason, second half of the year. He's been just outstanding. Uh, amazing steps that he's taking. Just the, the back-breaking shots that he makes, uh, like the ones we saw in South Beach, as, as the Heat continued to inch closer and closer, he was just making just some of these just, just killer shots that, that just destroy people's spirits. That's what Jason Tatum does. He has the ability to do that. Guess what? Steph Curry has the same ability to do that, and it happens a little bit quicker. But I think that this is this is going to be if, – if you're a fan of, of well-executed basketball, um, even if you don't like these two teams, I think you're going to be pleasantly uh, surprised by how, how uh, calculated and how – technique based this series is going to be and that's why i wonder too when you know when you talk about tatum like we've seen this time and time again in the playoffs okay we're going to try to go after tatum and you're leaving you know whether it's a grant williams open or now horford open they've made mm-hmm. a pay okay so is that going to be the same mentality the warriors go into this like we're going to try to take out you know tatum slow him down and just kind of live and die by the other guys I don't, that's I don't tough. Know. They, that's, that's tough because very tough. the Bucks found out the hard way. Yeah, I mean, the, and and so did the Heat in some ways as well. You know, not with Grant Williams. You know, putting up, you know, what was it, twenty three pointers or whatever it was. But um, I mean, the Celtics have shown like, you know, we can beat you this way. I mean, it's it's not like <laughs> the crushing teams with it, and they, you know, these series have gone to seven. But that's it's kind of what they do. You know, three point variance, Brian. It's going to be huge. It is, you know, and and it's something that the Heat did, and I think the Bucks did early on in the series, um, but they they got away from it. I want to know how much do the Warriors go after the ball handlers of the Celtics, even just bringing the ball, because the Celtics can be notorious for sometimes being slow about bringing the ball up the court. They get it up, you know, just before sixteen seconds, you know, and um, that's and, what Wiggs is there for. Yeah, you know, so they're kind of like, and they sometimes they get into their offensive set a little bit late, but they don't have the greatest ball handlers. And we've seen teams attack them a little bit. So I'm not saying the Warriors would do that the entire game, but I could see where they go. All right, Gary Payton, you're going to be in here for five minutes. You're going to full court press these guys, okay? Um, Moody, we're going to put you in there for a couple minutes. Go attack the ball handler. And then just try to slow them down. Try to make it a little sloppy. You know, even if you don't get a turnover, just make them, you know, have to waste some more time, you know, so they can't get in their set as quick or as clean. Yeah, it's it's going to be a battle, man. It's it be is. It's a battle, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I hate predictions. I hate, I hate, I hate. It's, it's really, really tough because you can see this going in either way. But I mean, we, we sit here, and how many times do you have to say it? Celtics, you know, we're a below 500 team. We were all writing them off. Here they are. They're in the NBA finals. Now they're tested. Um, They find ways to win. They've got star power when it comes to Jason Tatum, uh, you know, and and he can go off at any moment, which we've seen before. And, you know, they've got guys that are just really rough and tough. 
you know, like Marcus Smart. They've got a veteran in Al Horford. they got good role players. They know who they are. They know who they I, are. I wonder how, how they're going to treat Draymond defensively, too. Because, obviously, he's their primary playmaker. <laughs> like... Yeah. I'm just curious as to how I'm guessing play. Well, they're obviously going to leave him out on the perimeter, but like right. in the it middle of just... the floor when he's doing the dribble handoffs, when he, you know, he's looking for the backdoor cutters and like, if there's no cutters and stuff like that, are they, well, if there are cutters, are they going to tend to the cutters more than, than him? Like, are they going to dare him to, to shoot floaters and to take it into the paint? Like, Absolutely. That's what I would do. I mean, I'd be yeah. like, all right, you got to drive it and hit the float or get the layup, whatever. We're going to make you shoot. Yeah. You know, we do not. We're going to do everything we can to, you know, disrupt the offense and, and keep the ball in your hands as a shooter. That's what they have to do. And I think that easier said than done. Yeah. And, and th- that's funny because, you know, I go back to when I was saying Draymond and Al play the similar ways. Uh, doesn't mean that their skill sets are are the same. It just means that, you know, defensively they're they're really you know known for their reputations uh, as far as as guys who can really stop your momentum and and cut off your drives and uh, I want to say protect the paint, but like just be there to contest. Okay, that that's how how they operate. And then you look on the offensive end. Being the you know the connectors, I mean Draymond's obviously more of a primary than Al Horford is, but Al Horford can still make some plays, um, and is a solid secondary slash tertiary playmaker. So um, stylistically, that's what I was looking at in that r- regard. That that's pretty much the way I was going there. And, but, and, break, and yeah. breaking this down, now who do you look at right now as a bigger offensive threat, Wiggins or Thompson? Thompson, I would say. Okay, so in just kind of we talk about like all of these little factors and matchups and everything that we've been going over. Does it come down to something as simple as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum against Steph Curry and Clay Thompson? Does it come down to those four guys in these games? I can't. I can't narrow it down to two versus two. Could you do, do three versus three? Could you do? Could you add Marcus Smart and Wiggins, and say whichever of those three have a better night? Whichever of the point guard, shooting guard, small forward combo wins. Mm-hmm. Mm. I still think there are other places, there are other parts of a team and other parts of a game that determine those factors. Um, obviously, if one or two of those guys has a really off night, you're not going to have a chance. <laughs> Right. Um, That's why, like, it's a very even matchup. I would, I would rather, if you are looking offensively, I would rather narrow it down to Andrew Wiggins versus Marcus Smart. Okay. If, if that was the case. Because, I mean, the way that I look at this, because we know that shooting can come and go, um, and depending on what clay we are getting, especially offensively, but if Jordan Poole is playing like he did during the regular season and the first round of the playoffs – then uh, the Celtics' life is going to be um, miserable. Difficult for sure. But that's also why they have Derek White. Derek White, probably one of the best perimeter defenders left. Is is probably the best perimeter defender left. Um, 
that'll be tough for Poole to figure out. But Derek, offensively, can he keep up with it? And, I mean, he's shown that he, he can score the way that he does. And also, we've seen that in San Antonio. So, you know, does that come out again? I mean, he had a tremendous, tremendous game six, even though the the, the Celtics lost. Um, I look forward to it. That's a solid six-man, ben, uh, you know, matchup right there, too. And, you know, depending on how these lineups go, I'm, I'm interested to see. Because, you, you know, you're probably going to see Robert Williams the third, now Horford starting. But do we see the combination of Time Lord and Grant Williams on the floor at the same time? Do we see the combination of Grant Williams and Al Horford at the same time like we have in the past? Like, iterations of that, I think, are really compelling. Well, I think there's a lot of different things that are compelling about this series because there's, you know, there's so many different directions that each team can go when it comes to who's playing with who, how deep does each team go, um, when it comes to the Warriors at least, and what do they do defensively? Because there's a lot of different directions, and we're going to see a lot of alterations during the series. What's working, what the adjustment is, you know, within a game to from game to game. There's a lot of different things both of these teams, I think, can do and to change it up. And that's what's compelling about this series is I think it is such a close matchup. It's so hard. It's so hard to put a finger on it. And... uh because, like, in one instance, you can sit there and go, man, Tatum with his skill set and everything, he could have a big series, and, you know, Al Horford will be hitting some threes, and, you know, we could see how they're doing defensively because they have been so good defensively, and they can get the point total down. But then, on the other hand, you could sit there and go, man, I could see the Warriors just nailing threes left and this right and running yeah. their offense and going yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. So... It does make I'm gonna it go against, I'm gonna go against I'm gonna go against my gut. Oh. Give me the Celtics in seven. They've won the last two series on the road in game seven. Give me give me the Celtics and yeah, give me the Celtics in seven. I'm gonna take the Warriors in seven. And I'll tell you what, if I was a real man Sorry, they didn't win the last one on the road, but they won two game sevens. Yeah. If if I was a real man I would go with my gut, and I would say Warriors in five. But I don't see them winning on the road in six. I'm going to say seven. I'm going to say seven. Okay. I kind of want. I kind of want. To, I'm not saying they would be a blowout, even if they won in five, because I think these are going to be very competitive games, um, regardless. But um, I want to say five, but the Celtics are too damn good for that. So I'll say Warriors in seven. Let me be the first to hope and and pray for no injuries during this this series. Uh, We want it all full strength. We want competitive basketball. I know the first, you know, four games of these series sometimes don't go that way. Sure. Uh, We want good competitive basketball, and we'd love for the series to go seven games. Yep, yep. And I think it's, you know, awesome. Ime Odoka, first-year head coach against Steve Kerr. This is great, um, you know, for this retooled version of Boston team, um, you know, by Brad Stevens. Uh, You're looking at how many times Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and Al Horford have been this, 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 this close, and they finally get their opportunity. And then you on the other side have the Warriors, who haven't been to this this point since 2019, uh, be it a a share of, of bad injuries 
uh, be it a share or stroke of bad luck. Uh, but the same core uh, is back as well and uh, looking to defend their their guard. So the, the, the storyline couldn't be any more intriguing um, as a basketball fan. Again, I know t- that you know there's people around that don't like Boston, uh, that don't like Golden State just because uh, of, you know, either the fandom or the, you know, the successes that they've had in the past. I get it. Um, but I think it, it could be pretty special. Hopefully, you know, not too many blowouts and a lot more competitive games, which, again, I think would come, you know, after the uh, initial period of these, the, the first four games. That's, that's my opinion. Who draws more offensive fouls, Draymond Green or Marcus Smart? Hmm. Who gets, uh, I asked this last week, who gets uh, the first tee? And do either of these guys get ejected in this series? Well, you didn't answer my question. Who draws more offensive fouls? I'm yep. going to go, I'm going to go, so taking charges? or Yeah, on the who, who takes more charges? Is oh, it it's Marcus? Marcus Smart. Okay. Yeah. Who, who gets more technicals, Draymond Green or Marcus Smart? In the whole series, Dre, yeah, probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dre's got Dre's got a target on his back at this point. Um, yeah, I'm, ooh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Watch Marcus Smart attack the paint, attack the paint so well. Well, he needs healthy. to after the way he shot the last four minutes of that game that gave everybody a heart attack in Boston. <laughs> It's okay. You know what? He gives you know people what? heart attacks and then he redeems himself. It's just how Marcus works. You know what the weird thing was is I know and I understand. Like he gets in this mode and he's trying to hit the big shot. But the thing was, he was wide open on those shots he took because he missed like three or four three points. He was wide open. But that's exactly what the Heat wanted. They were like, "Hey, there's eight seconds left of the clock. We're leaving you wide open. Take it, Marcus. If you beat us, I'm, you beat us. I'm full, we'll on, I'm, I'm full on team Marcus, man. I'm full on team Marcus. But I mean, that's I mean between that. Those missed shots and turnovers with him and Brown and Miami just kind of whittling it down, whittling it down, whittling it down. And, man, I, that was almost one hell of a collapse. I mean, that would have <laughs> been an epic, epic collapse of all time if the Heat had won that game. But it was one of those things where, like, the Heat were playing from behind the entire game. I just kept thinking, like, they can't get over the hump. Every time they get it down from 13 points, they get it down to three or four yep, points. That's like, exactly. Right, they had a, they had a response. That's, it was, it was Boston had a response. The response. They put it Tatum right back response. up to double digits every yep. time. And now I was yep. sitting going, it's going to happen again. It was like when there was four minutes left and it was like, you know, a 13-point game, I was like, well, that's it. And then next thing you know, you like Struce hits a three, you know, yeah. he's an end one. It's like, just like, yeah. oh, my it was goodness. Crazy. And, and, it was crazy. And I don't blame Jimmy for taking that three. I kind of thought that he was going to pump fake and go to the rim and get the two or and maybe get some contact, try to get the and one or, you know, or at least get to the free throw line. But he took the three and I understood it. It was, you know, it was just the flow of the game, where it was going. Um, he was open. You know, that's typically not his game. I'm not saying you can't make that shot because he can. But just in the moment and you're playing that, I can't blame him for taking that shot. No. I mean, I I still wish he would have put it on the floor just to see if he could have drawn a foul. It was obviously a two-point game. 
I do that, too. It, but it, but yeah, but I mean, Jimmy gave it all he had. He saw a game. chance to win, man, and he was open. Like I, I, the people that are like dissecting it, going, "Oh well, he was thinking about this and how they didn't want to go to overtime and blah blah blah." I'm like, man, he ain't thinking about that. He's just thinking like, "I'm open. I'm coming down here. I'm yeah. taking a shot." You know? Yeah. yeah. It's like we're no. not we're not you know processing everything. He doesn't have enough time for that, man. It's just like he's in the moment. Oh, sure thing. Sure thing, man. In the moment. Man, that yep. was that was an amazing finish. It was amazing. <laughs> it was. Wow. It was a hell of a series. It was a hell of a series. Even though even though most of the games were blowouts. You know, game six was really good. I think it was game four that was uh, one that came down to the wire. Well, the Celtics almost, you know, stole a game, but the Heat held on yeah. to a game. And then, you know, we saw what happened there in game seven. It was almost the other yeah. way around. Right, right. All right, Brian, is there any, you know, quick storylines you want to get to before we uh, hit the road here? Well, the Lakers unofficially have a new head coach. Congratulations, sir. Well, they, they had, the team has not made an announcement yet, but it sounds like oh, Darvin Ham. in stone. Yeah, Darvin Ham's going to be the next head coach, and he gets the, the, the two things that stand out. One, he gets a four-year deal, and the second thing is, uh, allegedly, they have told him, that uh, you can pick all your assistants. We will not have a say in that. Oh, and by the way, Kurt Rambis is not going to come in uh, to your film sessions and uh, give his uh, peace of mind that he will be staying away and you have total autonomy. All right. That's That's a plus. That is a plus. (laughs) Now all they have to do is uh, deal with uh, the Russell Westbrook question and retool their entire roster. Hey, on minimum salary. Where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Where there's a will, there is a way. I mean, there is more talk that they've been going around telling everybody, or they've been, you know, planning on, hey, we're going to go into next season with Russ. It's just the way it is. I think some of this is just posturing. I think, obviously, they're going to do everything they can to move him, you know, and I know there's all the talk about will they include a first round pick in it. I still think they're open to doing that. I think there's a lot of posturing going on because. They want to try to get, you know, as much value. They don't want to have to overpay to get rid of Russ this offseason. And I think if they go into next season with them, they'll be like, yeah, it is what it is. But they would prefer to move him and don't want to seem too desperate. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a good hire. I do, too. I think it's a good hire. You know, it's. Not the conventional route they would usually go. They would go for a big name or somebody that has, you know, been a head coach before who, you know, has a reputation or whatever. Uh, I like them going the assistant role. I think, you know, the relationships he's going to be able to create um, obviously connects already with LeBron. LeBron congratulating him uh, last week. I'm going to be curious. Yeah, I want to see how he fills out the bench because I think you know depth is important yes depth is important yeah because message I mean, to every executive in the NBA no you can't top load your roster and win the championship the way you used to be able to do it well the talk has been they, they'd like to get some former head coaches to fill out the bench which I applaud and I totally agree with you know there was talk about Terry Stotts Luke Walton was one of those names I, I heard was you know potentially yeah. Uh, going to be a, an assistant somewhere, but he just got hired by the Cleveland Cavaliers sure. on Tuesday. So I don't know if Stotts wants to do it. I mean, it sounds like the Lakers kind of wanted that, but 
there were reports where that Terry is interested in being an assistant. I'll tell you one guy I would try to get is uh, is uh, um, James Borrego from yeah. uh, Charlotte. I would try to get him on that bench. Brilliant offensive mind. Exactly, because Ham, his specialist, uh, specialist uh, thing is uh, he, he focuses more on defense, if I can spit it out. But um, <laughs> that's kind of his thing. And then if you get somebody that's kind of their offensive coordinator, I think that would that would work out well. And then... We'll see what other guys they can go and get. I I, I want to see right, they so keep, Cavs Lakers in the championship next year. There you go. Roll. There you go. Maybe they'll keep Phil handy. I don't, I don't know. I, you know. Oh, they I, should. They they definitely should. I I mm-hmm. think that's up to whether or not Phil wants to stay. I think he's a little bit burned that he didn't get an um an interview to be head coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. you know that can be smoothed over. Yeah, I mean, obviously he has a good relationship. With you know the roster and the with the, well, LeBron, that's all that matters. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, I was just gonna say probably Bron, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I can't wait for <laughs> them to bring Mike D'Antoni to be an assistant coach. Wait, no. Hey, you know what? Hey, you're still looking for offense. Uh, by the way, D'Antoni, uh, one of the finalists for the the Hornets job. If I'm I not do mistaken. want, but so he's a finalist. I think Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson was the other one. Yeah. Okay, just those two. So not vocal. Uh, not sure about Frank. Vogel. He got an interview, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's a finalist. I mean, okay. he, I mean, he'd be a great guy to add to the Lakers bench. Oh wait, how is it? How how is it that Dan Tony just keeps getting these interviews? I mean, I respect him. I respect him. Well, I think hey. he is a head coach caliber, you know, person and play. You know, was obviously you know instrumental in changing the game. Go but, back. I a mean, month how ago. many jobs? Dude, like go he's back, gonna end up being the Kevin Willis of coaches. Yeah, I mean, go back a month ago, and what was the talk? If Philly flames out in the first round, Doc Rivers could be out, and Mike D'Antoni could be the next head coach because of his relationship with James Harden. It's amazing. That was that I, long I, ago. I was gonna say, I, I really don't think they go that route now, especially that Doc isn't gonna get that Lakers job. I don't know where Doc would go elsewhere. <laughs> right. I mean, so you know. It, there was a couple of years ago when it came to Doc, and we were before he even went to Philly, we were wondering if he was going to take over in the Orlando front office. Mm. I mean, that that was out there, and then that obviously did not happen. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of things when it comes to coaching because, you know, there was all the talk about, like, well, Doc Rivers comes available, that's who the Lakers want, which I kind of thought was that's a bad decision. Um and I think they're better off going in the route that they're going right now. But, you know, Daryl Morey did not hire Doc. And I think that's why a lot of people wondered, like, was he going to make the change? But they're staying with him. Um, you know, there was talk about the Lakers going after Quinn Snyder if he became available. And we and know now, that piece of news from Quinn Snyder last uh, last night. Yeah, where maybe he is going to leave you. Utah's still up in the air. He's been there for eight seasons. And Speculation could be waiting on what Greg Popovich decides to do. Yeah, there's that because he's he's been the guy that's been talked about a lot for, you know, being the heir apparent, you know, or at least one mm-hmm. of the guys there. Um, I can't remember his name. Who's the assistant with Boston that came from San Antonio, whose name has also been out there for taking over for Pop? Boston. Yes. Now I got to look it up. I was going to say, I can hear it. It's funny. The folks are going to be able to hear you typing it out. <laughs> Boston assistant coach. Will San Hardy. Antonio. Will yes, Hardy. Will Hardy. Yeah. 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 
But Will Hardy, his name has been out there as well as a guy. And obviously, he hasn't been a head coach yet, but you know, he came from San Antonio, and he is um, he's another guy that you're going to hear his name attached to a lot of coaching jobs coming up here. And maybe San Antonio says, we'll just get him in here. He's, already, he's young. We believe in him. Um, he fits our mold. He's been through the system mm-hmm. that he will be the guy who replaces Pop. So you've got those two guys that are associated with that gig. Sure. But, I mean, if Quinn Snyder leaves, I wonder who Utah is going to look at. Because now, you know, Danny Ainge taking over in the front office. You know, who who would he look at? It depends on what the roster looks like. Yeah. You know, what kind of coach do you want? I, I mean, I I think they should. Personally, I think that they should go with Alex Jensen. Because he's been in that system for a little while now. Um, he's coached a, a number of games for them when Quinn Snyder hasn't been able to. Uh, he's a young up and comer. Uh, you know, I, I've known that he's been in the, you know, the, the coaching ranks here for a little while now. Um, and is, you know, really, really good with players as far as connecting with them and, uh, relating to them too, because he was a player, he was a player for seven years. So, uh, I would look at Alex Jensen if I was Utah depending on, obviously, what the roster looks like and the direction Danny Ainge looks to go. And I would also wonder, because Will Hardy is with the Celtics and maybe Danny, even though he wasn't there this past year, maybe he knows a little bit about him because he was in that Celtic system, that if he doesn't get the San Antonio job, maybe he would be an assistant they would look at to bring over to Utah. Yep, and, you know, that relates... uh, to you know, a couple headlines that you did for us on, on basketballnews.com yesterday. Um, the Knicks, you know, still trying to look at Donovan Mitchell. Uh, there's a bunch of places, uh, you know, obviously trying to to reel Donovan Mitchell in. I'm not sure, you know, the feasibility of that because you know ultimately the Jazz hold the leverage. Um, a lot of trade scuttlebutt on basketballnews.com, uh, especially uh, stemming from Jake Fisher's report on uh, on BR about OG Ananobi. You know, we've got the DeAndre Ayton stuff. It's all on basketballnews.com. So make sure to check that out. Check out the podcast network. Got other great ones for you to listen to, other than Keep It in 94, of course. Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. have the dunker spot. They just did the 2022 NBA Finals preview. So make sure you watch that. Make sure you read the comprehensive 2,800-word scouting report that Nikias did for the Finals. I promise you, it is absolutely nerdy, but he puts it in a way where us simpletons can understand. By the uh, way, it, when it comes to the Dunker Spot podcast, they will be doing a podcast after every game of the NBA Finals. How about that? And they're they're hot folks. They're hot folks. So make sure you subscribe, rate, review those. Uh, I got the Alex Kennedy podcast with Alex Kennedy, the rematch with the Tom Thomas, Dishes and Dimes with the Ladies, and of course you have Evan Sirey, uh with Nothing But Bets. You have us here at Keep It at 94. If you want to talk to us, if you want to interact with us, please do. We are on Twitter. I'm on Spit. I'm on Twitter at Spin Davies. He's on Twitter at Brian Fritz. I'm on Instagram at Spin Davies. He's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. Hit the subscribe button, like, rate, review, comment, do all the same for the rest of our podcast network. Don't forget to visit basketballnews.com. We've got player interviews, draft coverage. Holy crap, we've got draft coverage. Mock draft page by Matt Babcock and Derek Murray, Blake Harrison, Jason Filippi. Got 
a free agency page with rankings and news and rumors. Uh, thanks to Alex Kennedy, Tommy Beer, helping us out on that front. We have done so many articles on possible destinations for players. My least favorite topic of the offseason, but it is obviously something that uh, people are interested in. You love it. Come on. Be honest. <laughs> We're going to trade destinations for the fourth best player out of their team at some point here. <laughs> but but uh, they are up and uh, you know good to go on basketballnews.com, so make sure to, you check that out. And um, thanks to our efficient ticket marketplace on basketballnews.com. That's Ticket Smarter. Looking to go to the hottest concerts, sports, theater, and family shows near you? Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter. Once again, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. Order online now, and uh, yeah, we're going to get offline. We're going to prepare for game one, which means uh, we'll be what well, we'll be in Boston by the next time that Keeping It Nine Before records. So uh, we'll be two games in. So that'll be fun, and hopefully, the first couple games um, we get to see exactly what way these teams will adjust to each other. But hey, C's Dubs, looking forward to it. And uh, we look forward to you guys joining us next week as well. So until then, enjoy the warm weather, enjoy your summer, and we'll talk to you later.